I'm excited about everything that God is doing through FX Church. There's so much going on, and I'm sure God's doing some great things in your life as well. Why don't you share real quickly one great thing God did for you this week in the comments so we can just celebrate together. And then we're going to jump right into the message that God has for us today. And so uh, let me pray real quickly. Father, we thank you as always for the privilege of receiving a message from heaven tailor-made for this particular moment in our lives. And Father, I pray that you help me to share your message boldly and accurately, that to use my tongue to really tattoo on the hearts of your people your word so they can receive the results you want them to receive. They can be everything you want them to be. We give you the praise for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're concluding a series we've been studying for a while called The Glow Up. And of course, for those who don't know what that means, we've defined a glow up as a mental physical, and emotional transformation for the better. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be transformed. In fact, Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. In other words, God is saying you need a glow up. You need to be transformed. And so we spent the last couple of weeks showing you how to do that. We've learned that the key to your glow up is you developing great habits, that great habits make a great life. And so we've given you the eight habits of a successful Christian. We've also turned this the glow up challenge. The first habit, of course, is to live your life in the Bible. The second is to spend personal time with God. The third is to think happy thoughts. The fourth is to live led. And then last week we got into habit number five and habit number six, we learn to love everybody, right? So habit number five is to be a lover, not a fighter. And then habit number six is to tell others about Jesus. Today we're going to end with habit number seven and habit number eight. But if I had to give a different title to this message, it would simply be this, live life on another level. Now, I didn't say another level. I said another level because <laughs> that's the best way to say it. Live life on another level. You know, have you ever been on an airplane uh, when there's turbulence? You know, that's not a pleasant experience. You know, you're shaking around. People, maybe you're crying out in, in fear and you wonder when this is going to end. And, you know, every once in a while, you might end up in a situation where the pilot is able to just cause the plane to climb above the turbulence. And so what happens, of course, is that when the plane gets to this new height, all of a sudden we have... Uh, smooth skies, right? Now you're enjoying smooth sailing. And we live in a world where everybody is dealing with some turbulence. Everybody is dealing with all kinds of attacks, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of struggles, uh, because we have an enemy that hates us, that is trying to do everything he can to take us down. And yet, if you're somebody that chooses to follow God, you can find that you can live life on another level that God can take you to higher heights, to a place where you have smooth sailing, where the enemy's attacks just don't have the same type of impact on your life as they do on other people's lives. But to do that, you've once again got to have a glow up, right? You've got to make a decision to live life on another level. You've got to make a decision to uh, have to take on some new habits so that you are avoiding the turbulence that so many other people are dealing with and you're soaring like God wants you to soar. And so habit number seven today 
is that you need to resist all vices. Habit number seven for this series is that you need to resist all vices. You may say, what's a vice? Well, dictionary.com defines a vice as an immoral or evil habit or practice. It also defines it as immoral conduct, depraved or degrading behavior. So notice once again, an immoral or evil habit or practice. I think that's the best part of that definition. That's what we can hold on to today. And that's what we need to resist, those evil habits, those evil practices that some of us have in our lives or that Satan will be attempting to cause us to have in our lives. So to get into that, let's look at James chapter four and verse seven. It says, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil. Put that in the comments, resist, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So here's a scripture where if you were to back up, you find God is talking to them about their sins. He's talking to them about uh, wars and fighting among them. He's talking to them about their lust. And so he then says what we just read in verse seven, that you need to submit, uh, humble yourself to God and resist the devil. And here's a, one of those rare scriptures where you see you, God, and the devil in the same scripture. So God is actually telling us here, that we need to humble ourselves to him and resist the devil. The problem is too many are humbling themselves to the devil and resisting God. And no wonder they're dealing with turbulence in their life. No, God says, humble yourself to me, do what I tell you to do, allow me to be boss in your life and resist the devil. The word resist here means to stand against, to oppose, to withstand to stand against, to oppose, to withstand. You know, the opposite of resisting then is to surrender, right? To give in to it, to go along with it. And God is telling us that we, what we should not be doing is surrendering to the devil, giving in to the devil, going along with whatever the devil wants us to do. You know, I like to play, uh, I guess we call it monster in my house with my youngest daughter, my two oldest, they're they're teenagers. My youngest still likes to do this. And so sometimes I'll chase her around the house and she'll go run into somebody's room and she will slam the door hoping that I can't get in. So what I'll do is I'll open the door and you know I'll, I'll turn a knob and I'll start pushing in and she'll put her body against the door and she's trying to keep me from, from getting in there. So what's happening is she's resisting me getting in the room. Now, that's what God is saying we need to do when it comes to the devil. He is the monster, walking about seeking whom he may devour. And God is saying, don't just open a door and let him in. Don't just give in to his temptations. Don't just give in or go along with what he wants you to do. Resist him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So this tells me, uh, in fact, let me say it this way. Resisting the devil then refers to resisting anything that comes from the devil. Resisting anything that comes from the devil. I mean, you don't want anything that comes from the devil, right? He is all about destroying people. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you. Jesus said to Peter, Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. That's what he wants with you. That's what he wants with me. He wants to harm us. And so anything he sends our way is designed to harm us. It's like when you get, you know, email that, you know, has, what is it called? Malware in it. 
you know, you, you know not to open funny looking email. Why? Because it can infect your computer. It can destroy it. Well, that's what Satan's temptations are. Those thoughts that he sends our way that to, to get us to sin, that's malware, right? That's something that he's sending to destroy us. And we need to not even open the email. We need to resist the devil. Some of us have dealt with people online that, you know, get on our nerves or, or even worse. And so what do you do? You block them, right? So it doesn't matter what kind of messages they send. They could be trying to send an apology. You don't see it because you have blocked their messages. We've got to do the same thing when it comes to Satan's temptations. The Bible, once again, is telling us to resist anything that comes from the devil, which tells me you can resist him. You actually have the ability to do it. That's why God is telling you to do it. You have the ability to resist any temptation he sends your way. And we'll get back to that in a minute. So when he does send temptation your way, really the next move is yours, right? You get to choose whether or not you're going to give into this temptation and, and then suffer as a result of it, deal with turbulence that you shouldn't have had to deal with. Someone once said sin is self-inflicted nonsense. So you can choose to do that or you can choose to resist him. And then if you do, you'll get the rest of the scripture. He will flee from you means he'll run away from you. He'll escape from you. He'll, he, he's terrified of you. And as long as you don't know who you are and what you can do to him, well, he'll, he'll try to take advantage of you. But when you demonstrate that you know who you are and you'll use the authority God has given you, that God's going to back you up. Well, now he's going to run in terror. So you actually get to decide how this moment is going to turn out when you're being tempted. Will you bow or will he run? That's entirely up to you. And so God is telling you here, make him run. In fact, Romans chapter six says it this way. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Notice this started by saying, do not let sin control you. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your, of your body become an instrument of evil. Once again, he's letting you know this is up to you. You can resist the enemy's attacks. You can resist temptation. You can resist uh, uh, the enemy having any place in your life. In fact, you know, 1 Peter 5 says this. It says, the enemy walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But then the next scripture says, resist him steadfast in the faith. So he's walking around seeking whom he may devour. And the reason why he has to see whom he may devour is because there's some whom nots he cannot devour. Go ahead and put that in the comments. I'm a whom not, right? Here's some of, of us who he can't devour. Who can he devour? Those of us who resist him. And so that's what we need to do. We need to resist the devil. That would include resisting negative temptation that comes our way. And let me mention here that he's talking about what we need to do on a regular basis, right? He's not saying do this one time. He's saying this is how you should live your life. Anytime Satan tries to bring temptation your way, you should resist it. 
anytime. You should make it a habit that when you receive temptation from the enemy, you immediately resist it. When he tempts you to drink, you resist it. When he tempts you to, to smoke, you resist it. When he tempts you to get it to look at porn, you resist it. When he tempts you to lie, you resist it. When he tempts you to gamble, you resist it. When he tempts you to do those things which you know are wrong, things that the world calls vices, you resist those. Make it a habit to resist anything that comes from the enemy. Anything. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse nine goes a step farther. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You are made holy. You are made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. What's he talking about here? Well, we can see here a number of the vices that people deal with in the world, right? Sexual immorality, that's a vice. Sex outside of marriage in any form, that's a vice that can destroy your life. Porn is a part of that, right? That's a vice you need to be resisting. Drinking is in here. Being a drunkard. Well, if you start reading the Bible, you'll find that even the idea that, well, I can drink and not get drunk and not be in sin is not really biblically accurate. The Bible says a lot of things about strong drink. And it tells us that really as Christians, we shouldn't try to get as close to sin as we can and then say, well, all right, but I didn't actually sin. We should get as far away from it as we can. So drinking is a vice. Smoking weed, right? That's uh, basically when you are smoking weed, you get a high, which is the same high or very similar high as you get when you're drunk. That's a vice, right? Gambling, you know, that's that's driven by greed. That's a vice. Uh, and we can go on, on, and on. These are the kind of things that we need to resist. These are the kind of behaviors we need to get out of our lives. And let's throw something else in here that may not be considered a vice, but we need to talk about, and it's cussing. You know, a lot of Christians cuss. They think nothing of it. Think it's, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Man, the Bible says a lot about it. The Bible says a lot about what comes out of your mouth. Resist that temptation as well. Don't yield. Don't give in when Satan tries to tempt you to do these things. Resist those temptations every day. Those who are far from God, they're the ones who give in to vices. They're the ones who give in to temptations. But that's not supposed to be true for those of us who are close to God. We resist them. You may say, Pastor, that's easier said than done. Well, I'm not going to argue with it about it, but let me show you 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 13. It says, There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Go ahead and put in the comments, this is common. Because he's telling you any temptation to sin that you're dealing with is actually common. There's nothing extraordinary about it. Other people have dealt with it. Notice the next thing he says. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The New Living Translation says it this way. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So notice he's talking to us about temptation. In fact, if you were to back up in this chapter, you find out he's talking about all the sins that Israel fell to when they were in the wilderness. And he's warning us not to do the same. 
Well, they fell to the sin of idolatry. They, they fell to the sin of fornication. They tempted Christ. They, they complained. That one's a tough one. And so these things led to them not ever getting into the promised land God had for them. And he's telling us not to do the same thing. Here, this scripture is similar to what we saw earlier. We saw a scripture where we saw God, the devil, and us in that scripture. Well, here's another one where you see you, temptation, and God in the scripture. And that tells me that when you're tempted, God is still there, and he's actually there to help you. This scripture is telling us that you can actually trust him, that every time temptation comes your way, God will do a couple things. Number one, he will act as a referee. What does a referee do? For example, in football or basketball, they make sure the rules are followed. So he will not allow Satan to tempt you with something that you are unable to, to resist. It is not true when you say, I couldn't help myself. Actually, what's true is that there is never an excuse to sin. Ouch, that hurts, right? Put that in the comments. There is never an excuse to sin. You know, as I was getting ready for this, God was beating up on me, so now I get to beat up on y'all, right? <laughs> so that's what he's telling us here, right? He's saying that God will do two things. Number one, he's going to act as a referee. The other one is that he will always make a way of escape. There is always a way out of that temptation. I love how the King James says that he will with the temptation. So the temptation comes and at the same time, he'll make a way of escape. He'll make an exit. Every trap has an exit. And God is saying that every time you're tempted with, to, to do any, uh, to, to get involved in any kind of vice whatsoever, whether it's drinking or smoking or, or weed, or even, you know, we can get into lesser sins if you want to call them lesser and that, you know, cussing somebody out or, or you know, uh, losing your temper. There's always, always a way out. God makes sure of it. You ever notice that in most action movies? How, you know, your favorite character will be running from somebody and it looks like they're trapped and yet there's always some way that they, they find to get out of it. There's always a window. There's always a door. There's always a staircase. They've always got some kind of tool in there on their belt or something. There's always a way, right? Well, God has all, he's already made sure you always have a way of escape when temptation comes your way and he actually wants you to take it. He wants you to take the way out, man. He wants you to see that, that okay, there is something I can do to avoid this vice. There is a way to resist this vice, to resist this temptation, and I'm going to take that way out. Now, what will help you with this is to understand just how the enemy works uh, and, and when it comes to sending temptation your way. The first thing I want you to realize is that sin often starts with a thought. It starts with a thought. So it's important to manage your thoughts like we talked about a couple of weeks ago to make sure you're thinking on good things. And when negative thoughts come your way, you respond like Jesus did in Luke chapter four. When Satan tempted him to turn a stone into bread, Jesus responded by speaking. Jesus said it this way in Matthew six, take no thought saying. One of the ways you take a thought is by saying that thought. So that's one reason why you gotta be careful with not only what you're thinking, but what you're saying. But also a way to combat a thought is to say the opposite, to open your mouth and say what God says, what the Bible says. So that's one of the things you want to do is when those thoughts come, open your mouth and say what God says. God is tempting you to look at porn, fellas, or even ladies. Remember what the Bible says in Job 31, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to lust after a maid, right? Speak that every time those thoughts come and use that as a sword of the spirit to dig into the enemy. And eventually you'll find you'll overcome that temptation. Well, 
So that's the first thing is that we got to recognize it starts with a thought. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit in you will guide you out of trouble. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, that is through being led by the Holy Spirit that we mortify the flesh. Galatians 5 says, when we walk in the Spirit, we live our lives habitually led by the Holy Ghost. That's what we'll find. We won't commit any sin. We won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so you need to uh, go ahead and make sure that you just kind of stay tuned into the Holy Spirit, especially when temptation comes your way, because he'll tell you the way out of that temptation. Another thing that will help you here, I think can be pointed to uh, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I love how the Amplified Bible says it in this way, make no provision for indulging the flesh. Put a stop to thinking about the evil cravings of your physical nature to gratify its desires. So he's telling you here, don't indulge the flesh. Another way of saying that is don't feed your flesh. Don't keep doing the things that your flesh, by the way, when the Bible talks about your flesh, it's talking about human nature, right? Just what you, you know, we all know that even though you may in your heart want to do the right thing, there's your, your flesh, your body, there's a part of you that wants to do the wrong thing. So he's saying, resist that, right? Don't indulge that. First Corinthians chapter nine says in this way, keep your body under, right? So he's telling us here to do that. Don't do the things your flesh wants to do. Don't feed your flesh. The more you do the wrong thing, the more you're going to want to do it, the easier it's going to be to fall into that. And so he's telling us here to, to be careful there. And, and let's be frank, um, some things are basically gateway drugs to, to, to deeper sin. So what I mean by that is, you know, some of the stuff you watch leads to you doing things you shouldn't be doing. Some of the things you listen to, so this is why the music you listen to is important. You can't listen to somebody's music and then expect it not to have an impact over on, on your life and on your behavior. Some of the people that you hang around, even King Solomon, a man who God gave all the riches and wisdom of the world. Man, he gave, he made him the richest man in the world, made him the wisest man in the world, and he knew God did it. And he wrote three books of the Bible. Even that man ended his life, turned away from God because he was connected with the wrong people. So that is something else that you have to watch out for because your friends can be a gateway drug, for lack of a better term, to you operating in vices. In fact, that's how most people end up with the bad habits that we call vices because a friend introduced it to them and they did it be partly because of either the, the, the friend making it sound enticing or because they wanted to seem cool or they didn't want to seem different than everybody else. And before you know it, they found themselves addicted to something for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So you got to be careful of that. You know, instead, you got to do what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter five. It talks about the strange woman there and how if you will give in to her, she can destroy your life. She took your health, your wealth, your reputation, the years of your life. And it says they remove yourself far from her. That's what you want to do is kind of remove yourself far from these things that actually lead to you uh, uh, committing these kind of sins. Remove yourself far from even the environment that puts you in that position. And so God, what, what I'm saying is that you really need to give Satan less to work with. You give him less than work with by limiting your exposure to evil. You've got to make a decision that I am not going to put myself in position where it's easy to sin. Instead, I'm going to resist vices. And when, and when temptation comes, I'm taking the way of escape. So let's go to habit number eight. And it's very simple. Live to give. Live 
to give. Come on, if you're going to live life on another level, and that's what we're trying to help you to do, live life on another level, you've got to learn to live to give, not live to get. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's a very interesting opening of scripture. This might change the way you think about how about work. In verse 28, he says, let him who stole steal no longer. Uh-oh, no more stealing. Nobody using, nobody, nobody using somebody else's Netflix password, right? You know, you're not stealing, right? Uh, somebody didn't like that. <laughs> but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now, if you were to back up in this chapter, he's talking about putting off the old you and putting on a new you. He's talking about having a glow up. And he's saying one of the things that you need to do is that you've got to get away from stealing. And of course, the guy he's talking about here is really a thief, right? This is somebody who steals for a living. And instead, he's saying you need to work for a giving. And that's interesting here. I mean, think about that. He's saying instead of stealing, go get a job, work with your hands, do something that is honorable, do something that benefits other people. And so what's going to happen is you'll get paid, you'll get goods from that. But he didn't say work for a living here. Now, there are other scriptures where, where the Bible says that. But here he chose to focus on working so you can have something to give. So he's saying, I want you to work to give. I want you to work for a giving. Instead of being a thief who takes from others, be a giver who gives to others. And the idea here is you stole on a regular basis. That was your habit. I want you to give on a regular basis. That needs to be your habit. He's telling us that really when we go to work, we should go to work thinking about getting something to give to those that are in need. And we might come back to that. But notice once again that the goal here is for you to be a giver, to have the habit of giving of living to give. In fact, Luke 6, 38, a very familiar scripture for most Christians says, give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. Well, most of us who know that scripture immediately jump to the second half of that scripture. We talk about the return that God has promised us and he has promised us a great return. But the point of the scripture is the first word, give. And if you were to back up just the scripture before that, you can see he's talking about things you should do on, on, on a regular basis. He says there to not judge. He says there to not condemn. He says there to forgive. These should be things that should be you should do all the time. Is when opportunities come to judge people, choose not to. When the opportunity comes to condemn people, choose not to. When those opportunities come where you need to forgive somebody, choose to do it. And he's saying right along with that, you ought to regularly give. This ought to be your habit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says there that, you know, as we abound in faith and knowledge and all these great things, make sure we abound in the grace of giving. Once again, make giving your habit. And I think a great example of this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul's talking about the house of Stephanus. And he says here, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. I like that terminology. They addicted themselves. Nobody made them do this. They addicted themselves to it, meaning that they got to the place where they so enjoyed it, they, they made sure they were doing it constantly. And that's really what God wants us to do when it comes to giving. He wants us to addict ourselves to being a blessing to other people. In fact, I like something that Mark Hankins says. 
He says, if you get addicted to giving, God will support your habit. And that's right. God will make sure you keep having money come in because he knows he can trust you to send it out to other people. In fact, that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 reveals to us. It says, and God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient. Notice this, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. So the point is, God's going to put his grace on you, the blessing. So a lot, some money comes to you.